Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Well, welcome to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, and today I am most excited that we have one of the foremost students and practitioners of the whole notion of personal development, Mr. Josh Ellis. Josh is the editor-in-chief of Success Magazine and has been since 2015. This is a magazine in various forms has been around for more than 100 years and has helped to influence countless people as they move forward. Uh, He's been named one of the 100 most influential figures in the magazine industry and has built a staff that was twice nominated for Editorial Team of the Year honors. And Josh, I've been a fan of Success Magazine since I was 19 years old. So welcome to the Action Catalyst. Well, thank you, Dan, and uh, I appreciate you reading all these years. Well, absolutely. Well, I know you got your start academically at Ole Miss, so that's quite a uh-huh. journey from, from Ole Miss to Editor-in-Chief of Success. Can you share some of the major uh, pivots that have occurred along the way and influences that, that got you the role that you're in today? Yeah, when, when I was in college and going back to high school, uh, you know, I, I started my journalism career at 16. Um when I started writing for my hometown paper. And then through college and the early years in my career, what I was really interested in was sports writing. And um, I covered just about every type of, of game or sport you could think of from uh, you know, football uh, um, all the way down to ping pong and rodeo. And uh, I, I really uh, kind of cut my teeth on that. And that was, you know, I was your average teenage boy that was just obsessed with sports and, and, uh, specifically football. And so as I grew through college, um, and I got an internship and then got a full-time job after I graduated with the Dallas Cowboys. Hmm. And it was, um, you know, I remember when I, when I, first got the call about the internship, when I first got the call that I was being hired full-time after a couple of years working in training camps with them for the summer. I, you know, I remember running around like a lunatic laughing and, and you know, fist, uh, um, fist pumping and just ultimately excited because this is what for, you know, I wanted to do for life. Uh, or so I thought, because after after about four years, four seasons with the Cowboys, uh, four forgettable seasons as most of them <laughs> have been for the last uh, couple decades, anyway, um, I I started to really think deeper about um, the meaning of my, of my work, and I um, started to, you know, kind of come to the conclusion that although. Um, you know, people obviously get a lot of joy out of watching their favorite teams on Sunday. Um, ultimately, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't bringing anything of of any great deal of value to the world. It's not. Uh, uh, I just couldn't see myself writing, you know, injury reports and um, practice recaps for you know the next 
50 or 60 years as long as as long as my career was going and so i started to look for ways that i could bring more value to people and and around that same time i, I was aware of success it was based in north texas right right uh, where i was and around that same time it, it just happened to be uh, you know good fortune that an opportunity um uh, arose at the magazine to to start on as a junior editor. This was always also a chance for me to to kind of grow in my career from just a writer to an editor. Um, so it, the move was partially selfish, but um, but I really did when I when I took the job at Success. What really excited me was the chance to um, give people material content that would actually help them. It would, it would help them, um, you know, in, in their businesses or their careers or just to be more motivated or inspired. Uh, it would help them in some other way other than to say, Oh, Tony Romo's got a bad back today. Well, um, so I, I, I was here and, and, uh, you know, I, st I started, I learned more about editing. I, I learned more about, um, the kind of content that we produce, because when I when I got here, it was it was pretty foreign to me. Um, but I, I started to develop some taste for for the ideas and strategies and and um, sort of way to um, way to position the this, the the stuff that we do in success um, in ways that would be most beneficial to people. And and so over the course of about three years, I. I really learned a lot and improved, and um, and then another opportunity arose, and and this is I would say another main pivot in my career is th is the chance to to become the editor in chief. I had been a junior editor, um, and I, I got the chance to become the editor in chief. And the main pivot for me at that point was that I became a leader. I had I had a team. I had people who looked to me for. Um, for leadership and for um, counsel and um, look to me to, to provide opportunities for them to grow in their careers. And uh, I was really intimidated by that at first because, um, you know, ultimately I think any leader, whether you're the CEO of a fortune 500 or you've got one direct report, um, I think that you owe it to yourself to really ask, um, why am I in this position? Yes, maybe I have some experiences that the people um, who are more junior don't have, but there's nothing that makes me superior to them in any way. Um, so I really wrestled with that. Who am I? Because there were there were people on my team who were 15, 20 years further along in their careers. So I really had to wrestle with how to be a leader for them, how to be someone that they... Um, came to with their questions and their answers and how I could serve them. And, um, you know, fortunately I happen to work at a place that has, um, quite a bit to say about leadership. And so I was, I was helped a little bit by, um, so much of what I had read already from John C. Maxwell and people like that, the real, you know, leadership experts of our time. Um, but it really took, a year or two to kind of grow out of that imposter syndrome that I think a lot of people face when they first um, take on management positions. And um, 
once I did that, I became more confident. I think that my people sensed my growing confidence and, and that, um, that made me more effective as a leader. And so, uh, our, our team went on to do some really, really, um, incredible things together. We still, uh, I think I'm, I'm very proud of, of the magazine that we put out. Some of those people have moved on, but, uh, we are, um, we're still, you know, I, I try to keep everyone involved because I think one of the lessons that I've learned about leadership is loyalty. And, and, um, it's, uh, it's just, you know, I, I, it's, it's something that when I came from the Cowboys, um, being at success was everything that I could have hoped for in terms of, um, creating meaning in my life and, and allowing me to, to help create meaning and, and really serve other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, um, uh, is when I hear you say, Josh, that you became more focused on serving others. And then at that moment is when you really felt that you'd grown into being a leader. In other words, when it stopped being about you and how people were looking at you and instead what you could add to them. I think that's a fantastic insight. Yeah. And, and it, it didn't come naturally at first because I think I was a little bit, um, more self-conscious than self-absorbed. I, I knew that it wasn't about me and I knew that I needed to get the most out of these people uh, and help help them to, to get the most out of themselves. But at the same time, I was constantly, you know, wrapped up and concerned in, um, in uh, you know, what are, they, what are they thinking of me? What are they, um, what am I, you know, it, it's, it's very hard to describe, but if you've ever been a, if for anyone who's ever been a first time manager, I think that you understand the feeling of just, it really is an imposter syndrome. And I, I had to get through that. And that came from, from, from giving to these people and, and putting them in positions to succeed. Right. Well, it's like you're in the center of a bunch of concentric circles and everybody's staring unblinkingly at you. <laughs> That's right. There's, <laughs> Some, 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 my, my, my team was great because they were very forgiving and, and, uh, they were all very young in their career. So they didn't quite know what to expect. Uh, I think from, from, um, most of them were very young in their career. So a lot of them didn't quite know what to expect. Uh, and, um, when in doubt, I was just nice, <laughs> you know, mm. just be, and, and be personable and friendly and actually care about, uh, what what's going on in these people's personal lives and how can I help them address those things? And, um, so as much as, as much as I read about leadership, um, the lessons from just getting thrown into the fire were as instructive. Mm -hmm. Kindness always wins, doesn't it? Yeah. When in doubt. Yeah. When in doubt to be the kind person, do the nice thing. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a challenging ride you're on too, Josh. I mean, being in print publishing as well, knowing that it is uh, an industry that many people wonder, are you still alive? Uh, <laughs> and you also have a very vigorous online presence and have for quite some time. Um, there must be some times when you've hit apparent brick walls where suddenly you were rounding a corner, things were going well, and then suddenly kaboom. Oh my gosh, can't even see over this thing or around it or under it. What, what's been your approach when, when you just get stopped by something that is external? How do you, how do you cope with that? You know, I think that for the most part, um, 
if it's if it's something that involves um, only me, um, or I'm at the center of of the issue, it's not someone else's problem, right? That I'm helping them fix. If it if it involves me uh, first and foremost, and I think uh, self assessment is um, really important to do, and and it's something that I try to just be self-aware at all times. But every now and then um, I do feel the need to stop down and, you know, look at how I'm spending my time, look at how um, I'm prioritizing things. And um, in some cases that, that may need a, 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 a large scale shift. And in some, in some cases it might need something smaller. Um, the other thing because generally these, you know, the, the roadblocks that you're talking about and the problems, um, the, the, the solution to it is, is people. And that could be um, business partners or in the case of success, we do have executive leadership um, over, the, over the brand and the company that's above me. And so it's working with them. And, and, and it could be team members. It could be our, your customers, our readers. Ultimately, for... Most roadblocks, like you mentioned, most um, problems that need to be overcome, the solution is people. And you really have to understand and connect what drives people and what what can be done to kind of help them maybe become um, more aligned with with the mission or the or the task that 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 has to be done. and And that could be people from from any, any type of background. I mean, I'm thinking of, uh, it could be if you're an entrepreneur or in a startup, it could be your business partners. And in our case, um, I think a lot of times of executive leadership, the, the, the management, the corporate, uh, uh, management that we have over the success brand here. Um, it could be team members, the people who report to you understanding and, and connecting what drives them personally with, um, the mission that you have, but it could be your clients or your customers um, really going deeper and, and thinking about why, why are they with you to begin with? What are they trying to get out of you? How can you make their life easier or better um, and sort of create some synergy between what you need done and what they want on, on, on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that I would say again that self-assessment, knowing yourself, being self-aware, will help you avoid a lot of problems. But but then also knowing people as well. I mean, I there's there's a lot written about um, not IQ but EQ, an emotional quotient, and that's very much aligned with with understanding what what drives other people and uh, understanding yourself. Well, lots of studies of this say that EQ is five to ten times more important than IQ as depending on the measure you take. So I'm totally with you there. Um, here's kind of a different different tack. Everybody has a start to their day. Do you have a, a pattern of how you try to start your day? First thought in the morning when you come from unconsciousness to consciousness. I, I am <laughs> the first thing when I wake up that I do that no one would, would ever advise would be, I, I cannot help, but I'm, you know, I'm your... In a lot of ways, I'm your textbook millennial that I roll over and I look at my phone. It's uh, <laughs> not ideal, I don't think, but it uh, that that blue light really does wake you up sometimes. So, 
Um, but, but what I do, I, I do have a routine in the morning. And as soon as, uh, as soon as I've made sure that I don't have a hundred emails waiting for me, um, I get a workout in, um, I have, I have an app that, that gives me, um, a, a very quick, but, but also, um, um, pretty difficult workout and it might just be 15 or 20 minutes. And then I also, um, walk on the treadmill for a little while just to get my, the blood pumping and I eat quick breakfast and hop in the shower and I'm, I'm out. I, I, um, I'm on the way to the office. So, um, the, I think, you know, for me, health is, is an important part of every day because it's, it's a lot of times, um, if I'm not conscious about it, it's the first thing that gets overlooked. And so, um, that's something really over the last, um, few months, maybe a year that I've, I've tried to, to make sure that I got that workout in first thing in the morning, because it kind of sets me up for the rest of my day, uh, to just one feel better, but, but two also feel sort of more, um, purposeful about, about what I'm doing. Right. And, you know, leaders have an additional responsibility because if they're not healthy and not able to function physically, they're leaving people in the lurch. And so it's even more important. That's right. I mean, you just, if I don't get it done in the morning um, and it's hanging over my head, like this thing that um, I'm going to dread doing when I get home at the end of the day, you know, it puts me in a bad mood or, um, you know, I, I feel sort of lethargic. And so um, just for my, my own energy, uh, which, which people I think need to see because that I, I, we need them to be energetic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's important for me to, to get that workout in. Right. And our physical health and physical nature affects our attitude state. There's such a direct link to those two things. So you want to show up on your A game starts by getting ourselves in, in the right condition physically. So I think that's Absolutely. awesome. Um, anything be, before you go to sleep at night that you try to either think about, uh, avoid dwelling upon, because so many of my guests have said that the way they start the day and the way they end their day is, is so really important. So just curious about that. You know, I do, um, <clears throat> I do tend to send myself, it's not an every night practice, but I send myself, uh, e- just write an email to myself, uh, with notes about the next day, mm. uh, what I need to get done, high priority items so that I'm not laying in bed thinking about them, having those, uh, you know, that list turn over in my mind um, over and over again. And, and I can, by the time I lay down, I can, uh, just have a little bit of a, a clear head, but you know, it's, I think it's, it's also really important. Um, I'm, I'm fairly newly married. Only we got married, uh, let's see, tomorrow would be the four month anniversary. So well, congratulations, uh, Josh. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is, um, uh, easier for, uh, someone earlier in their marriage than, than people who have been together for, uh, 30 or 40 years. So I'm told, but, you know, I, I really try to spend some quality time, um, in just that last hour before bed with my wife, um, and just talk. And, you know, we, we you spend all day away from one another uh, you get home and there's stuff to do. You got to cook, you got to clean, uh, you gotta, you gotta binge watch something on Netflix. And the, 
the few hours that you have with one another, this person that, that, uh, brings you happiness and, and, and joy and love, um, you can let those few hours slip by just in the routine of, mm. of, um, you know, I see you every day. <laughs> so we don't necessarily have much to talk about, but, um, it's all right to force it. Um, because, you know, there's, we all know about the feel good chemicals that, uh, the, the dopamine hit that, that comes with just human connection. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's, there's no better ally that I have in my life than, than, um, than my wife. And so, um, just conversation, holding mm-hmm. hands, you know, uh, mm-hmm. very, it's, it's very sappy stuff sometimes, but, um, being more connected to another person, uh, I think makes me more connected to myself also. And so, um, that's a pretty good routine for the evening. I think that's fabulous. Well, having recently celebrated my 41st wedding anniversary, I say amen to everything you just put out there, Josh. Well done. Uh, Everybody's so, uh, you know, I get the idea anyway from a lot of people. And maybe this is just pop culture sort of stuff. But, you know, the longer you're in a marriage, the the more work it is. I, I um, So I have utmost respect for anyone, well, anyone who could who could make it, uh, make it for that long and, and, uh, going strong, Dan. Right. Well, it's uh, it's a blessing, the greatest blessing of all. And there's also so many studies now that link longevity, longer life and meaningful life with close personal relationships and not you know, virtual when, relationships, personal relationships. When I got to success, one of the first stories that I ever wrote and one of my favorites that I've done is on a guy named, uh, Dan Butner who worked for national geographic and, he uh, ended up writing a uh, very successful book called The Blue Zones. You've probably heard of it, uh, where he traveled the world and he found the pockets um, of populations. And there's one in Costa Rica and there's one on this island off of Greece and Okinawa has one. But they, the populations that have what he called the blue zones, which are um, the highest concentrations of people who live to be over age 100. And they had a few things in common. I mean, they're, they're definitely um, eating a, a, a healthier diet and they're moving more, um, more naturally throughout the day, even as they get well into their uh, old age. But the biggest predictor was, um, was connection to other people and feeling valued, feeling uh, like you were needed by other people. And so um, I, I am absolutely there with you. And I think that the research bears that out, that um, just human connection, deep human connection is so important for us in so many ways. The first inspirational book I ever read was written by a former editor-in-chief of Success, Og Mandino. Uh-huh. And when he said in that book, I will greet this day with love in my heart, I was in direct sales going door to door. And many people would answer the door and it didn't appear they had love in their heart. And so to practice that in return when it's not even there on the front end is one of the essences of human connection. I think that's fabulous. Yeah. Now, on the subject of of personal motivation, it's possible when somebody hits a certain level that they can start to sit back and say, you know, I'm kind of coasting. Things are good here. I don't sense that that ever occurs to you. So what do you do to keep this voice of mediocrity at bay? 
and uh, not get satisfied, Itis, and, and keep striving and keep your edge. You know, I um, one of my earlier memories is um, being about seven years old and not being able to sleep one night because I was having a bout of something that I don't think a lot of seven-year-olds have. That certainly the uh, my my cousins that that I see regularly don't seem to be bothered by this sort of thing. But I was having sort of a uh, bout of existential um, questioning. I wouldn't say dread. It was more just um, curiosity of what is the point of all this? Why are we here? Why, why does any of this exist? And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, in my upbringing, my parents were divorced when, uh, when I was very young and one side of the family was religious and one side of the family wasn't. So I was sort of caught in the middle of that. Um, and I can see, I can see it both ways. And, and either way is really the answer to your question of how do you avoid mediocrity? Um, if you're religious, then, you know, you, you, you have to believe that your creator um, put you here and created this existence for you to live in for a reason. And if you're not religious um, and you, you believe what science teaches us, um, then you have to consider the sort of cosmic miracle that your life is, you know, it's, it's, um, they say it's, you know, an infinitesimal chance that, that a, a planet like earth could, um, could come into existence just the right distance from the sun with just the, with a you know, moon, just the right distance from it. And that, Billions and billions of years ago, one amoeba turned into uh, a multi-celled organism. And so, you know, if you want to think about the odds of your parents ever meeting and their parents ever meeting and their parents ever meeting, um, all the way back, thousands, consequently millions of generations, all of that leading up to you uh, sitting here on a, a late February morning um, in a room where the lights tend to go out from time to time if you're not moving very much, you have to be um, you have to be grateful for for what this is. the 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 other option, the you know, the other possibility is that there's nothingness, right? And so, whether you're religious or um, whether you just appreciate the, the sort of cosmic odds you've overcome to have this opportunity to live life, then you have to, you have to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you have to understand that it's a gift. And for me, um, I try to always keep that in mind and, and not waste the opportunity because it's not going to come around again. And it, it really is, it really is uncanny. Completely uncanny. And they say that about 13 billion people have walked the earth and no two have ever had identical DNA. What are, I mean, what are the odds that you're one of them or what, you know, what just the, for any, for any couple that, uh, that creates a child, there's, there's 
an almost infinite number of possibilities of, of what that child is like and um, that it would be me or you or someone listening to this. You have to, you just have to appreciate it. And I know that it's difficult at times because this is the only way it's ever been. We've never known it any other way. And so it can be easy to forget that, but you have to just remind yourself of it every now and then because we are all incredibly lucky. Your mindfulness really stands out, Josh. Your your willingness to to not be so tightly zoomed in. You back up and say, let's put this in perspective and realize the world is a pretty amazing place and my spot in it is special. Yeah, it's. I think it's also okay to recognize that um, we are ultimately fairly insignificant <laughs> as as you said there's been 13 billion people to walk the planet there's what 7 billion now i'm just one of them but i if if i um can live in a way that that benefits as many of those other 7 billion and and billions to come possibly then um then i'm not wasting my chance and i'm not quite so insignificant right it's an old saying I was taught years ago. We should take what we do seriously. Just don't take ourselves too seriously. I think you're absolutely right about that. <laughs> and it'll go Not to do that. Um, you're bound to have people, associates, employees, uh, customers, friends, who really feel at the moment that they're just out of options, that as the gambler says, they're out of aces. Um, what are words of encouragement that you could share with the listener right now that just doesn't know where else to turn? They're businesses in a real turmoil, something's going on in their personal life, things are, there's nothing good about what's going on. What, what steps or words of encouragement could you share? You know, one of the things that we, um, we teach is at success is, uh, it's an, it's, um, an old idea from Jim Rohn, who was one of the icons of, of personal development in the 20th century. And he said, um, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. And so I think that that's, that's something that I try to live by. And, and we, we write about all the time is um, there's always room to improve yourself. None of us are perfect. None of us are ever going to be perfect. Um, and in fact, no, no situation for anyone, any of us, 7 billion, no situation is perfect. Um, but as long as you're making progress, as you're as long as you're working towards something, a a um, smarter, more prepared, um, happier, um, more growing, purposeful version of yourself, then then you can over time overcome whatever your obstacle is. And and for me, something I think about from time to time is, you know, a, a next level, a highest level version of myself, um, and I try to really get clarity on what that guy is like. He, uh, he probably doesn't need the uh, blue light from his phone first thing in the morning. He, um, he's more excited for that workout. He's, um, he finds ways to, to, um, make, um, make that time with his wife more, you know, just more natural and constant. Um, he's better at his job. He's, he's, um, you know, he's, he's really, and it's, it's, um, 
you know, he's someone who motivates me to, although I may never be perfect to try to get better. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think being able to vision, um, yourself at, at a next level, um, you can live, uh, toward that Jim Rohn quote of, of don't wish it were easier, wish you were better. Gosh, I can't imagine a better way to, to wrap up than that thought that you envision a better version, the best version of yourself, highest version of yourself and work steadily, gradually with stops and starts, twists, turns, setbacks in that general direction. And that's really what life's meant to be. Um, wow. It's all you can do, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's, yeah. you know, from whatever your problem is, there may be a um, tactical way to solve it, but we're speaking more generally now. The person who solves it is you right now at a higher level. Mm-hmm. So focus on yourself first and uh, you will be able to solve that problem. Well, that's awesome. Well, Josh Ellis, thank you so, so much for sharing some of your time with us today. I'm encouraged and I know our listeners will be encouraged too. So as we say, best of success to you and you're the best thing for success. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.